Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Five. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg. Dr. Justin Quinn has the day off. We have some news to talk about. We have some 50-point games to talk about. We have some injuries to talk about. But more importantly, we have a rematch against the Golden State Warriors to talk about. So to do exactly that, we welcome in Tommy Call of Warriors Wire. Tommy, how are you? Not too bad, guys. Just uh, wrapping up a Monday. Excited to talk a little hoops with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this game is one of the biggest on the calendar. And not only are we colleagues, but there are very few people covering the Warriors as well as you, Tommy. So um, thank you. What we're going to do is we are going to hop right into the lab and talk about this Warriors Celtics game, which is slated for this Thursday. But first, Alex, you play bass for Divine Sweater. Divine Sweater plays our intro music. You have a new song out that I got to hear about, or, or got to listen to, rather, and you've got some shows coming up, so plug it really quick. Absolutely. So uh, in about 27 minutes, you are going to see the YouTube video available for the latest Divine Sweater single all the way back, uh, and then it will be released on every streaming platform at midnight, so in three and a half hours, give or take. And if you like the single, if you enjoy listening to the intro music and you enjoy all things Divine Sweater, good news, particularly if you live in New York City or Boston, we have a show this coming weekend in New York City, and then we have a show in Boston the following weekend at O'Brien's Pub in Alston. To purchase tickets and learn more, visit Divine Sweater on any social media app or check out our website at divinesweater.com. Nice professional plug. Um, did Mark do the music video with you? Is that the... Oh, yeah. Mark? Oh, cool. I'm pumped. Um, <laughs> all of this will be available to listeners by the time this podcast comes out. All right, Tommy, we are not here just to push Alex's band, although it's great. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> nor, nor are we uh, here to talk about our men's league that's starting back up again on Tuesday, um, which I'm excited to talk about with Alex. But instead, we're going to talk about the Warriors. So the dubs come to town on Thursday. It's the second most expensive ticket you can buy uh, for a Celtics game behind only the Lakers. Um, and it's, of course, a finals rematch. Tommy, uh, we'll get into like what's what's going on with the Warriors this season. Obviously, some ups and downs and some injuries and whatnot. Um, but take us back to June. It looks like at a certain point, the, um, the Celtics were going to win the title. Did you ever feel that way as someone who covers the Warriors? Or did you always think they were going to pull it out? I mean, you always think for a team that's been there before, right, there is that, like, championship blood, championship mindset that you kind of thought at one point the Warriors would flip the switch because I didn't think through those – when the, the Celtics could control, it seemed like the Warriors were kind of, like, not at their peak. They weren't ready They weren't ready to take that step. And then, obviously, what happened in Boston with that Steph, that Steph Curry kind of signature game really seemed to kind of – that was when you went, like, okay – they're here because those first couple games, just even when the, the game they won, it was a slugfest type of thing. So, I mean, it, I definitely, the way the Celtics came out, it was scary, but I always kind of had a little bit in the back of my head thinking the, the Warriors are going to at least fight back a bit at some point. And obviously what happened in Boston happened and it seemed to kind of obviously really swing the series. Yeah. I mean, at this podcast, obviously we root a little bit harder for the Celtics than the other team, but the Warriors team has been so fun to root for over the past few years. And like, if there is a superstar more fun to root for than Steph Curry, I don't know who it is. So as like unbelievably disappointing as it was for folks in Boston, it was also just like spectacular. Um, fast forward to 
January now, things are a little bit different for the Warriors. Um, we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. And actually, I'm going to start with something that's not in our notes. The Warriors are so good at home and not good at, on the road. Do you have any answer for that? Does anyone have any answer for that? I think that's like the biggest question mark this season. I mean, it's it's truly like we write about these games every single night. And sometimes when they're on the road, I find myself writing about the same exact things. And then when they're at home, I write about the same things. It's a tale of two teams at this point of the season. And, you know, we saw a perfect example of that yesterday afternoon when they're playing in Chicago, right? It seemed like by every standard, the Golden State Warriors, they, they head into the Alamo Dome in front of 70,000 people, 68,000 people, look amazing, a complete wire-to-wire win, and granted against a bad team, but kind of getting over the hump with a road victory. The seven guys scored double figures. They're looking like that strength in numbers Warriors team. And then just a putrid performance in Chicago the very next day that makes you scratch your head and go, what, what is going on with this team? And it's, uh, it's I mean, Cam, it's, it's, a, it's a question. I think if anybody's paying attention to the NBA right now, if you saw some of the, just the, you know, the stats about the Warriors on the road, I mean, three wins, four wins at this point in the season, it just, it seems made up like saying that as a person that covers the team and has covered the team for four years, when I talk to people about them, you know, they've had how many wins on the road this year? They've done what? It's, it's such a head scratcher and I don't have the answer. And if the Warriors had the answer, maybe, maybe this would be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. And I'm the thing that kind of stands out to me that I wonder if might be part of the answer is, you know, from what I have kind of, gleaned about the Warriors this year is it seems like the bench is in a very different place than it was last year. You know, you had guys like Gary Payton coming off the bench. You had um, Andre Godala still playing heavy minutes. He's now kind of just coming back. Um, and it seemed like, you know, Jordan Poole, I think, is kind of rounding back into form, if I understand correctly. But he's he's had a kind of dicey year a little bit. I do wonder if part of this is just that the Warriors bench looks very different from what it was last year. And obviously like they're getting contributions from guys like Dante DiVincenzo, they're getting, you know, contributions from uh, Anthony, Anthony Lamb. I think that's right. And others, but it, it just kind of feels like last year's when, when the Warriors went to their bench units, they still maintained a level of cohesion that um, was really a, a core part of their identity. It, it didn't seem like there was a significant drop-off. And with this unit, it seems like it's a little bit more volatile. I wonder if you could kind of comment on that experience. Yeah, I think that's another kind of defining theme of this season is figuring out kind of what that second unit looks like. Granted, the Warriors have had their injuries. Jordan Poole's probably the guy that's supposed to be the catalyst for that bench unit, but he is in and out of the starting lineup with Clay Thompson, kind of the Warriors monitoring his minutes. So he's in and out of the starting lineup. Steph Curry was out for multiple games. Andrew Wiggins has been out for multiple games. And then Jonathan Kaminga is a guy that, you know, if we had this podcast two weeks ago, I'm, I'm telling you guys, this, this guy's really taking that next step. He's looked really, really great defensively, offensively, seemed to know what to do with the ball, kind of finding his role, being that slasher, getting to the basket, not settling for jumpers, not giving what defenses want him to do, but he's been hurt. Like right as he's hit his peak, he gets hurt. So there's just, it's been lumpy. And then you talk about the guys that the Warriors brought in last year, you know, Nemanja Bielica is a guy that just played perfect kind of Warriors branded basketball contributed super, you know, effective minutes with what they wanted. Know, knows how to play with a guy like Steph Curry. He's going to move crazy without the basketball. 
uh, Otto Porter Jr., who was amazing last year for them, who provided, you know, significant stretch for minutes, could get down into the block and play great defense there. And they just don't – they expected guys like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga to kind of fill those minutes, which if you're going to run the two-timeline system, it's something that's, you know, discussed a lot with the Warriors. You needed those guys to take that jump. You sh- we sh- The Warriors shouldn't have signed guys – to fill that auto quarter role because you'd want Jonathan Kaminga to take that step. That's what this plan needs, but it was really rocky to start the year. Jonathan Kaminga came in and out of the rotation. Moses Moody is getting his role taken by a guy like by Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb, things I would have never expected to talk to you guys about at this point in the season, mm-hmm. but it still seems that Steve Kerr is kind of figuring out that recipe with how to work this and we're halfway through the season. And it's obviously at times it's, looked all right but a lot of times it's looked bad you know for better or worse and I think that's something that they're going to really have to figure out and obviously once everybody gets healthy it's going to be it's going to provide a clear picture but you know right now Dante DiVincenzo is probably the only guy that you go yeah this guy's going to give really really competent minutes that you can rely on off the bench and everybody else it's still kind of wait and see unfortunately we're gonna get into some of the minutiae of those bench players and you're not, I don't know if you meant to, but we're going to talk about the the trade deadline, which I think you teased kind of nicely. Um, mm-hmm. But it starts with Steph and it starts with Clay. Can you give Celtics listeners an update on, I think people know that they've been injured and in and out of the lineup, mm-hmm. but like where are they specifically at January, whatever today is, the 17th, January 16th? Yeah, so obviously Clay Thompson, he's kind of where I want to start because he's been a guy that's heavily criticized throughout Warriors Twitter. As a fan base, they love him, right? Like you're never going to not give that guy minutes. You want him to shoot the ball, but it's been inconsistent. It seems like he's been trying to find, you know, that balance, his feet underneath him and figuring out what he wants to do with this role, like where he's at, because he's not the guy he was three years ago, pre-injury. But over these last couple games where Steph Curry's been out pr- predominantly, the Warriors went on a stretch where they played some of their best basketball of the year. And, you know, it was without Steph. And the main guy that was kind of playing this big role for them was Clay Thompson. He had that 54-point game against uh, Detroit or one of these Eastern Conference teams. And he had three games in a row of 30. He, you know, in a ugly loss, he was the catalyst on offense. He seems to get, be the guy that's, that's trying every night. Like, that's the thing that with this veteran team – is sometimes it's been a little bit, the efforts haven't been there. I would say it's been a little, you know, sloppy. Um, and Clay Thompson seems to be the guy that's, that's pushing it. That really wants you hear the things he says, he wants to be the guy. And we're kind of finally seeing it come together a little bit. He's scoring the basketball. He's taking better shots. Um, and right now I would say the last, you know, 10, 12 game stretch of the year has probably been his best. Um, Steph, on the other hand, you know, he just missed a, missed a ton of time to injury. And his first two games back, although he was kind of playing his regular load of minutes, it was, you know, he looked a little rusty. Um, he scored 24 in his first game back, like 16 of those came in the fourth quarter when the Warriors were chase, chasing a 20-point deficit. Um, obviously, he went crazy ballistic in Washington Day, 41 points. And that's when he really looked himself, especially in the fourth quarter, really fueled the Warriors kind of ability to close the door but again against you know a team where hopefully you as a warrior fan watching this game you don't want to lean on Steph Curry scoring 40 against Washington without Bradley Beal to win that game so yeah. that's kind of he, he's always going to be Superman but um 
you'd hope sometimes the other guys would pick him up a bit, especially if he's a little rusty these first couple games back. I think the true test is obviously when Marcus Smart's going to be guarding him on, you know, in Boston coming up, that's going to be when we're going to see where Steph's at with this recovery. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a, and a quick question. You know, I know Steph and Clay are obviously lauded for their offensive fireworks above else, but a, a huge part of last year's Warriors title run was that um, I thought in particular Steph actually really went up a level on the defensive end. He was really, you know, flustering Boston's guards um, throughout the playoffs. It seemed like he was really feeling out well, like how to draw charges and like get in the way and just kind of scrap around and make an impact on that end. Uh, I'm kind of wondering from your perspective, given the injuries, given kind of the inconsistencies in the rotation and the load that those two guys have had to carry on a night to night basis, has there been any slippage on the defensive end for those two? I mean, if you look where the the Warriors defense stands and, you know, and all the different metrics and ratings, it's not where it's been throughout any of their finals runs. Throughout any time this team has been a, quote, contender, they've been at the top defensively. Last year, you know, one of the best defensive ratings in the league. That was a big point. I think the last time we talked, we talked a ton about defense. This year, it has been a sore spot. And Draymond Green's had to do a lot. And I think he's been incredibly impressive defensively. This is this is a great Draymond Green defensive season so far, in my opinion. But he is anchoring a lot of that. And then Steph is anchoring a lot offensively. So I don't I do think there's been a bit of slippage there. And then the numbers kind of back it up. Um, I think that is gonna, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if that does tend to pick up, you know, as we hit the final stretch of the season, go into the playoffs a bit, because this team. Um, you know, has coasted a bit this year, I would say. I mean, one of the the phrases and terms that gets thrown around, you know, on Warriors Twitter is like this unserious basketball. I don't, I don't want to take credit for that, but it's been this theme that people mention, unserious. This team is un, plays unserious basketball. And it's kind of like a funny pick joke that, you know, gets thrown around, but it's, you know, it, it makes sense. There's a reason that that's being thrown around. And you we see it defensively and it's, and it's up and down from night to night. You know, we talk... Cam, you mentioned early to start the show that they're great. They're great at home. Well, they just lost three in a row at home to, to end yeah. their, this impressive eight stand after winning five in a row. And you, you kind of thought that was maybe a turning point of the season. And it's just, it's why, you know, for a team that is championship, like there's some championship bound has these, con this contender label to lose three in a row versus teams that I don't think, you know, the Suns without, a ton of different players they're they're getting run by 20 you know it's 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 just funky anytime we've watched this team on the way up to a championship it, there ha there's been a lot less games than there has been this season like it like that you know we don't see this team getting kind of just taken to the shed a bit yeah we can here let's do this let me pause the action i'm going to tell you about our our title sponsor and then we can kind of apply the themes that we're identifying and some of the things that we've seen from the Celtics and talk about Thursday's game, which is what this is all about. But first, BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting for football and basketball this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. It's always your continued source for sports wagering information, and BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and anything else for almost any sport and game imaginable. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and golf games and events. Head to betonline.ag today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your reward. Bet online where the game starts. All right. 
So we get to watch, it's January, it's an inconsequential game, and yet one of the more exciting games on the calendar, and we will overemphasize the result, I'm sure. But Tommy, let me start with you, and Alex, I'll ask you the same question on the Boston side of the coin. What are a few things that you're looking for out of this game? Maybe not trend lines that will take you into May and June, but uh, what are you looking for here in January? I mean, I, I think just uh, it's, it sounds so simple and it sounds weird, but just playing a wire and wire game. This team throughout the year has fought. It seems like they've been down 10 to start every game. You know, it's rare that most of their wins are these um, kind of fiery comebacks, uh, big Steph Curry performances, big Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole going crazy type of thing. I want to see them, you know, the end of that first quarter, the score be four points. Then at halftime, two points, you know, be really engaged throughout. And that's like we talked about earlier, like consistency with this team. The, the, the most consistent thing they are is inconsistent inconsistent and so playing kind of a wire to wire game where they're in it the whole time and you know in the fourth quarter even if it doesn't go their way for them to give themselves a chance kind of like they did in Washington today where even though the uh, Wizards were kind of shooting lights out Kyle Kuzma they're launching the Warriors were in that game going in the you know down the stretch and Steph Curry found a way to win it for them um it's, it's such a simple thing. It sounds kind of goofy, but that's just what I would be looking for at this point in the season. It's a consistency. It's yeah, that's a, it's as simple as that. And going back to December when the, the Warriors really rinsed the Celtics in Golden State, there's no way around it. Golden State scored 33 in the first and 35 in the second. Um, obviously Boston didn't have Robert Williams. They also didn't have Al Horford that night, but to your point, you know, the, the Warriors look a little bit different when they have some wind in their sails from the jump, which was exactly the case uh, back in December. Um, all right, Alex, your turn. What are you looking for from the Celtics here in January? For Boston, I'm looking for the following thing. I think the kind of key to the game is how is Jason Tatum reading this Warriors defense, which has flustered him so much in the past. So obviously we talked about the kind of beatdown that the Warriors gave the Celtics this past time, uh, you know, and I think one of the things that kind of stood out is that despite having an MVP caliber season for most of the year, Jason Tatum had one of his worst games against the Warriors that night. And it seemed like all of the things that were haunting him in the finals, you know, Draymond Green kind of getting in his way and messing him up with, you know, a lot of like physical play and Jordan Poole swiping at the ball and you know, the Warriors just kind of gunning at him and trying to make him as uncomfortable as possible on the offensive end really took the Celtics out of their flow and out of their rhythm. And it led to a situation where, you know, Jalen Brown is getting his and like Marcus Smart and Derek White are chipping in, but it just never felt cohesive. It never felt like the flow that the Celtics have been so good in kind of rocking with in these past, in this past run of games. Um, so for me, my big thing is I want to see if Jason Tatum is making progress in breaking down some of the stuff that the Warriors are going to throw at him on the defensive end. It seems like, you know, he's really got to play a patient and methodical game and he's got to see kind of what reads Golden State is throwing at him and just like make the right play, not try and force the issue kind of take what comes to him. And part of that might be playing into the Warriors game plan a little bit, but at the same time, we've seen what happens when Tatum gets flustered and frustrated with this Warriors defense. It can lead to inefficient shots, 
turnovers, uh, you know, kind of dogging it on the defensive end himself. I think that's the singular key factor to this rematch. And certainly given how the Celtics have been playing and Jason Tatum's been playing the past few games. Um, Tani, Thursday is but one result in a long season, but um, we've already identified that, you know, the, the overall story for the Warriors this season is probably more frustrating than uh, enjoyable. Where are you at with the trade deadline and what's the smoke around Golden State and do you think there will be a trade fire? It's interesting because, you know, going into last year, even prior to the championship run, the, the, and I mentioned it earlier, is the, the idea of the, two, of the two timelines. And guys like Jonathan Kuminga specifically, I just wouldn't want to see trade. I think uh, traded. I think he's incredibly valuable. What he's shown defensively this year, even glimpses of it, has looked incredibly impressive. And I think he can at some point put it together offensively too. He's shown glimpses of that. So I would take him off the table. I mean, you're. I don't know what you what package you include him in. And then there's a guy like Moses Moody, and Moses Moody is getting you know, minutes in the Western Conference Finals against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. And then this year is playing behind Ty Jerome. And that's just something I, I wouldn't imagine him saying. And I like Moses Moody. And I, I think, you know, the glimpses that he's shown throughout his career, you know, a year and a half in the league has been fairly impressive too. But it has, it seems like Steve Kerr is not ready to kind of give the keys to him. The trust is not there yet. It's very up and down. Um, and so basically what I'm getting at, I don't even want to include James Wiseman in that because we haven't seen a ton of him. It's such a still, it's a, such a mystery with him. Um, cause I'm not ready to kind of hit reset on that, that yet either. Um, but these guys were all drafted high and so highly touted that it seems like internally within the Warriors that it would take a lot, uh, you know, a, a big name to kind of get rid of one of these guys that they've invested so much in, because, you know, if we were doing this podcast a couple of years ago and like, Hey, are, are the Warriors going to trade that number two overall pick to land a guy? And they went with the option to draft them. They used those two lottery picks to draft guys when there were veterans on the table. So now they're going to blow that up to trade for a guy like Alex Caruso, you know, um, Podol and San Antonio. It just, it, it doesn't seem, you know, kind of, worth it to me personally because I want to see these guys develop and I don't think you know then you've got to start to go is that jeopardizing Steph Curry's you know ability to win another championship is that shrinking his window to an extent mm-hmm. and it's it's such a tough thing but the Warriors signed up for this and to kind of blow it up at one time at one trade deadline to go okay now we're going to go veteran heavy we're going to go all in and push our chips well they've had two years to kind of debate that and every at every turn it's been no, we're going to still roll with the young guys. So to me, it would it would be a surprise, in my opinion, to see them kind of dish one of these guys via trade. As much as I love the you know the trade simulators and writing all these trade prediction stories, as fun as it is to talk about, it just it doesn't seem realistic yet for me. But we'll see. I mean, we you never know with the NBA. Yeah, the Celtics are kind of in the same way. I don't think the Straits are as dire, but we'd want to, or at least I think. I most want to see the Celtics make a big trade and you can put the salary together and you can look at the picks. I don't really know who's out there. Like, I don't really know what the move would be. Um, and granted, I haven't spent as much time kind of daydreaming on behalf of the Warriors about this, but probably there are upgrades, but like whether or not they're 
massive upgrades is unclear to me. And then otherwise, are you uh, saving your nose to spite your face or uh, vice versa? Um, it's interesting though, because like the West is so, so crowded that you could make, you could kind of make a case either direction. You could say like, oh, any team is one move away. Or you could say that like, you know, so long as the Warriors get invited to the dance, they have a good shot. And at this point, it looks like they'll, they'll make it to the postseason in some capacity or another. Um, fans are finicky. Do you think that, you know, either ownership or the front office feels pressure to make a move or pressure to not blow a Steph season or anything like that? Or do you think that their MO is patience? I, I think it leans more towards patience. I mean, obviously we live in, you know, where the, the reactions are so massive. I'm sorry, guys, about the background noise. No um, the, the reactions are, are super massive. Um, where a loss like the other night in uh, Chicago turns into, are we going to trade all these guys? But like I said, you know, anytime Bob Myers talks, Joe Lacobs talks, it, it's, we've done this. We won with the two timeline thing. If you, if you, you know, any team that wants to do the two time timeline things, not only has it not worked, but it seemed to have blown up in catastrophe, like catastrophe fashion where with the Warriors specifically last year, it worked really well. And then you've seen the glimpses and, you know, I think James Wiseman is so, so scrutinized. And, you know, there has been some things where you go, you know, you got to trade this guy. He needs to just reset his career somewhere else. He needs to go get minutes on, on a bad team because every time he's out there, it's, you know, it feels like it's like a, a, a do or die situation for this kid. You know, anytime he turns the ball over, it's like, oh my God, here he goes again. Here he goes again. And then he dunks it and you're like, oh, this kid was getting called baby Giannis at one point when he first was a rookie. So I just, I want to see him confident. I want to see him get action, but it's so hard because now that the Warriors are playing from behind a bit, it's a, when are you going to give that guy minutes? And now we're entering this second half of the season, the second stretch of the season. And, and I don't know where you find time for him. And, and the more time he spends in the G league, it seems like it's just depreciating his value if you're going to trade him. Right. So it's kind of, they're in such a, funky position with these young guys but it would like I said I I do think that they're going to lean towards patience with these guys because this team knows that that Steph Dre Clay um threesome is is getting older you know it just it just is and I think that they've made it this far where they're going to go where we want to see what it looks like when Jonathan Kaminga's in that starting lineup some maybe if it's not next year two years down the road and to that end, you know, one solution that the Celtics, when they were in a kind of similar state last year, you know, largely underperforming relative to expectations, and then they ended up going on a huge second half run to propel them all the way to the finals. One of the moves that they made was that they shortened the rotation. They cut it down to basically eight or nine guys on any given night. And, you know, one thing that the Warriors could consider doing as they look to kind of write their season, and it seems like, you know, they're kind of in fits and starts seem to be trending the right way. One of the things Steve Kerr could look to do is tighten that rotation down to the eight or nine guys that he really trusts. Now that could have some drawbacks, right? Putting more mileage on Draymond Green, putting more mileage on Steph Curry and Clay Thompson before the playoffs could be uh, in the long run, potentially not great for their careers. But if you're trying to kind of recapture results this season and reestablish momentum, 
uh, one of the things that they could do is really just cut the rotation down uh, and make it so that the guys who are the development projects, uh, you know, your Moses Moody's or maybe your Jonathan Kaminga's actually have more time to just kind of work on their game in that capacity, knowing that, um, you know, they're not being relied on on a night to night basis in the same way as like the top eight of the Warriors rotation are. So, Alex, that's kind of a fun segue into something that I'm going to spring on you guys, which is a little bit of a game. Um, but first, a couple of caveats. First, it looks like my Wi-Fi is maybe a little laggy. So if uh, that's an issue for any listeners, my bad. Um, second, Tommy, I'm going to take a little more time than we promised to play a game on the fly that I want to play. Absolutely. And um, third, to the benefit of time, your responses have to be 10 seconds or less. And that's nearly an imperative, not a suggestion. The game is uh, put on your magic genie hats or whatever and look into the future and tell me where these people are in the next three years. So January 2026, where might we find these individuals? So that's the game. Neither Alex nor Tommy knew we were going to play this game. I thought of it like eight minutes ago when I was pretending to listen to Alex. Here we go. Tommy, three years from now, January of 2026, where is James Wiseman? Charlotte Hornets. Oh, sad. <laughs> you, you played the game beautifully, but that was a sad answer. Okay, Alex, three years from now, where is Grant Williams? Grant Williams is on the Boston Celtics three years from now. Tremendous. Uh, Tommy, three years from now, where is Draymond Green? You have to say Golden ones. State Warriors. I'm going to say Golden State Warriors. I, yeah. I want to say Los Angeles Lakers, but I also really don't want to. Oof. Oh, man. Him and, him and LeBron sense. is like the perfect last chapter for them to lose in the first round of the playoffs in 2026. That may, maybe that won't happen. Um, okay, Alex, in 2026, where is Malcolm Brogdon? 2026, Malcolm Brogdon is, I believe, in the last or second to yet last year of his Celtics contract. Because Celtics. that's what his contract is, and I'm an idiot, or he signs a new contract? No, uh, he signed, I believe he has four years left on his current deal, maybe three. Um, Whoa, that's like stellar. That. That's that's me finding that out just now. So I love he's that. on the Boston Celtics, yeah. <laughs> great, great. Okay, Tommy, um, in three years, where's Steve Kerr? I'm going to say retired. Yeah. I'm going to say retired. I'm going to say coaching team USA basketball. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Alex, in three years, where is Brad Stevens? Brad Stevens is continuing his run as the GM of the Boston Celtics. Alex is preaching stability. I'm trying to come up with one that would stop, <laughs> that would make Alex say not Boston, but um, <laughs> you could happen. Um, Tommy, pick your poison either in three years. Where's Jordan Poole or where is Andrew Wiggins? I say Andrew Wiggins is back home with the Toronto Raptors. Oh, cool. I think Jordan Poole stays. Because it's too big for a contract to move? I think so. And I also just think he is all those guys I spent a ton of time talking about. He is plan 1A to that to that young group. Like if the Warriors are contenders, he's a big part of it yeah. in three years. Fair enough. All right, Alex, in five years, where is Al Horford? Al Horford is relaxing on a beach in the Dominican Republic in five years. He has retired. <laughs> what a life. Okay. Any, any obvious ones that I missed? 
I really didn't want you guys to throw Clay Thompson at me. So can I throw Clay Thompson at you guys and just see what your answers are? Sure. Golden State. The the person who is Clay Thompson, like his soul needs to be in California. Um, I think he might need he he might need to be in California. <laughs> yeah, um, that doesn't necessarily mean the Bay, but I think the, the Warriors they they have too much money to not take care of him and Steph Steph for the rest of their days. Um, and like Clay's got a, a boat, and like Rocco is happy. I just like <laughs> I don't know why you would ever ask him to leave the Bay and why he would want to leave the Bay. Um, although maybe Southern California, the weather is a little more agreeable, and he could talk himself into that. I wonder whatever happened to his brother who plays baseball. Does his brother still play in the majors? I thought he was on the Dodgers. Still, I thought he was on the Dodgers. Um, I think I think he like had a cup of coffee there and then was back there this year and like playing consistently. Cool. I would. Yeah, I, I would could be, be totally wrong on that too. <laughs> Clay could start a band in two years. Who knows? Um, I would love to see that, but I I think the correct answer is Golden State. The the just answer is Golden State. I agree with you, but. Maybe it's the most interesting thought experiment, and I just breezed past it. Um, Alex, anyone on the Celtics side of the equation that is worth uh, pontificating about? I don't necessarily think it's a lock that Peyton Pritchard is on the Celtics in three years, among uh, others. I'll do that. one better. There's absolutely no chance Peyton Pritchard is on the Celtics in three years. Yeah. No, I think for the most part, they're going to keep this core together, uh, with the exception of Horford, who I think probably has maybe two years left in him. Cool. Well, on that happy note, Tommy of Warriors Wire, the um, sister site of Celtics Wire, thank you for stopping by and um, give us a score prediction for Thursday just because. I'm going to go I'm gonna go a little bit of like a low scoring game. I'm going to go, which is so rare in the NBA these days, I'm going to go like 98-89 in favor of the Celtics. Prove me wrong, Warriors, that you can play on the road. That's a huge throwback. That that low of a score, um, Alex, your turn. Take the under. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna swing the opposite way. I think it's a high scoring affair in which not much defense is played. I'm gonna go Celtics 137, Warriors 122. <laughs> oh, holy moly! Um, okay, I guess on balance, I'll say the Celtics win 118 to 112. But we all have the Celtics winning. Sorry, Warriors. Anyways, Tommy Call of Warriors Wire. Um, Everyone should go check out his work. Everyone should go sauce him a follow on Twitter. And um, perhaps you, we will tap you again in June. Although based on what you're saying about the Warriors, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. In my head right now, I'm realizing kind of how negative I was about the Warriors throughout that, but it's been a funky year. I mean, yeah, you've been watching their games is what's happened. It's not, <laughs> it's not unreasonable. All right, Tommy, good to see you, man. And um, as always, thanks very, very much. Thank you guys. I'm so sorry about the background noise, guys. That uh, that was super embarrassing. Was it like super loud on your end? No, nah, that's fine. I mean, I've got okay. like a dog. Yeah, and that stuff. Okay, I which I didn't hear. My my uh, I'm at my office right now. My boss is like a diehard Cowboys fan, and so he's having <laughs> his friend that have like a full like screen set up that I didn't realize was going to be so loud in this office. That made me realize I wanted to check the score. Oh. Sounds like the Cowboys aren't winning. Yeah, they're doing all right. I'm so shocked that I'm emotionally realizing I wish the Buccaneers were winning. I didn't think I thought that, but (laughs) I looked at the score and felt sad. Who's your team, Tommy? 49ers? 
No, I'm actually a diehard Miami Dolphins fan. Oh, tough weekend. They are. Like, yeah, Yikes. tough. tough. <laughs> so it was nice to talk some hoops. <laughs> Rough day yesterday. That's okay. Alex is a Titans fan. That's true. And my life is nothing but misery and pain. <laughs> I'm a Patriots fan. That's tough, too. Shout out Ryan Tanner, man. Yeah, yeah it's been a rough year for the three of us. We should have talked about Tannehill. <laughs> Big fan. All right, well, Tommy, Those days yeah. are over for me, unfortunately. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. It was really fun. It's always fun to talk loops with you guys. Appreciate it. Sure, yeah, yeah this mean, was nice. We'll talk, but I don't, I don't know about uh, a Celtics Warriors podcast episode anytime soon. Maybe next year. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Sure, and we'll uh, we'll ping you when this comes out. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. See you. All right. right. I mean, I'm I'm down to just keep rolling. Yeah. Cool. I'm just gonna like make an obvious timestamp by being silent for a second. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Tommy. Tommy Call of Warriors Wire. My colleague over at USA Today, uh, SMG. What we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the news, what we normally do at the top. And Alex, the news is awesome. It's yes, awesome. That's today's, correct. Today's <laughs> game was awesome. Um, <laughs> for those of uh, listeners who don't know, the Celtics played the Hornets again the second time this weekend. Um, the second time they kind of looked sloppy for most of the game, which we can talk about, but when the final horn sounded, Jason Tatum had 51 points, nine rebounds, five assists on unbelievable shooting splits, 65, 58, 100. Um, just like spectacular Tatum performance. Some of the, the threes that he was knocking in were just like, first of all, preposterous. But second of all, we've talked about this before, Jason Tatum just has such a good looking jump shot. And when it's rolling, it's the best looking thing in the league, I feel like. Yes. That's what people say about me in our men's league, but um, yeah. for the purposes of this conversation, <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny how not true that statement is. Um, okay, so I I took the Tatum uh, takeaway thoughts on either today's game or the whole weekend, or were you at with this little uh, home and home? Yeah, I mean, just one more note on Tatum. You know, I have to say, I feel like that was the most relaxed, calm 51-point game I've ever seen. Like, he looked unbothered and, frankly, bored at points during the game. It was kind of crazy to watch. He seemed like he knew throughout. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to here. It's going to be fun. Um, the thing that uh, – a couple things to note in terms of today's takeaways – um, one, it seems like the chemistry with Robert Williams is improving a lot um, for Jason Tatum in particular, but also really for the team as a whole. It just seems like they're getting a much more comfortable feel with him, you know, a couple of weeks after his return from injury, almost a month now, it seems like. Um, but he's he's looking a lot more comfortable out there and the team is doing a better job of finding him and putting him in spots where he can be productive. Um, it, Joe Mazzula has been doing a thing lately where he's been playing a lot of these three guard lineups with Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, and Derek White all at the same time. And those yeah. lineups have largely been working pretty well, um, particularly when they're paired with Tatum and Luke Cornett, of all people. Um, yeah. It seems like those lineups have been flustering opponents, and there's a real speed and skill element to that lineup that um, is paying some dividends. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye on that. Uh, I, I want to swing this question to you, Cam. 
Um, given the kind of recent hot stretch and, you know, the Celtics are kind of rolling right now, I'm curious, based on today's performance alone, um, what is real about this team and what is just playing the obviously tanking Charlotte Hornets? Well, what's funny is I thought you were going to ask me about Peyton Pritchard, which um, <laughs> the, the peak behind the curtain is you and I think that the Celtics should trade him and Justin doesn't. I think that's right. <laughs> and, and so the default position of the Celtics on podcast is that we, the Celtics should not trade Peyton Pritchard, but, but let's get into it. Um, <laughs> what's real and what's not? Um, f- man, I hope what's not real is that the Celtics are quite lazy and playing with their food. But yeah. Going back to last season, that's just like a pretty consistent theme that uh, it's unreasonable to expect that this is one of the greats, right? That like this is one of those warrior teams, that this is one of the big three Celtics teams. Like it's not reasonable to expect them to win every game by 20 points per wire. And yet to win a title, let alone multiple titles, suggests that you are among the greats. And even though the Celtics are, we have it written down, back to number one on offense, number eight in defense, and they have the number one net rating. They don't always play like unbelievable juggernauts. They do in bits and spurts. They do when it's humming, but they also look asleep at the wheel often. And twice uh, they were down 16 on Saturday against the Hornets. They gave up uh, a 19-point lead or a 16-point lead or something like that today on Monday. Um, they have no business ever not being way better than the Hornets and they allow themselves to be. So not the fun answer you were looking for, but I sort of think that is real. I sort of think that the vulnerabilities of the Celtics that we saw last season and that we've sometimes seen this season aren't going away anytime soon. Um, I guess we can pathologize it a little bit, but I think that's real. I also, and- think, it's, I also think it's real that Jason Tatum is the best player on the floor in 95 to 99% of basketball games. And that is a stabilizing force to the problem that I just identified, but it's also amazing. It's interesting that you say that because I think I think those issues are true. Like I think yeah. this Celtics team doesn't strike me as like a historically dominant team that is just going to run over everybody they're playing. But the flip side to that is they are on a seven game win streak and, you know, like they give up these leads, but then they end up winning comfortably by 12 to 15 points, it seems like on most nights. Yeah. And um, the other thing that I would swing to you is that you don't necessarily have to be that dominant team to win a title. We've seen it before in the past. Like I think of like the 2019 Toronto Raptors who admittedly got a little lucky on their run, but at no point did we ever really think, wow, the Raptors are just like running over the league. They're absolutely dominating everybody in their path. They were good. They were consistent. They just like developed quality winning habits but they never struck me as like a juggernaut in the way that some of like the Warriors teams or the heyday Heat teams have been, or another Kawhi Leonard team. The 2014 Spurs, similar deal where, you know, they were consistently winning games and ended up having a great record and a dominant playoff run, but it never felt like the Spurs were like locked in, destined to win the title that year. They were good. They were playing well and they kind of caught fire in the postseason. So I don't think it's necessarily like you have to have that. It would certainly be reassuring though. I guess the the flip side of that is every game now it's like, well, Jason Tatum just passed John Havlicek in this statistic or Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown just scored like 6,000 points 
mm-hmm. like more than Shaq and Kobe did, like the the historical comps and the little you know statistical factoids that pop out suggest that like there's unbelievable greatness afoot, like it, it, that it's not the 2004 Pistons or or some of the examples you offered that like with a little bit of elbow grease and luck they can back their way into the finals. It's like when this team is clicking, <laughs> it's like it, it's not like something we've seen uh in boston certainly but in basketball sometimes it's just like unbelievable dominance so to go True. from i know brown is out Tana, or brown has an injury but like to go from the top duo in in basketball like ostensibly recent basketball history to oh no the hornets are just like spanking you on nba tv is is not an expected up and down part of a championship season for me it's like a little too down but I, I see your point like I don't disagree that like basically what I'm saying is it's an unreasonable expectation for them to be great all the time it's just that like <laughs> when they're great they're so dang good that's true I do also just want to throw one more wrinkle before we move on from this piece which is that we are witnessing this season in particular an unprecedented offensive explosion across the league like you know people are just regularly hanging up you know, 40, 50, 60 point games. And yeah, it seems crazy. like, it seems like in particular by removing the take foul and kind of adjusting the sliders a little bit to make defense even harder. Um, the kind of way of the NBA now is you just have to score crazy margins every night to win. And so part of the kind of statistical anomaly of like, why are the Celtics, you know, absolutely looking dominant at times, but also giving up 16 point leads to the Hornets might just be that the reality of the NBA is such that no lead is ever truly safe and teams can just give up massive runs basically whenever and still win games comfortably by 20 points. I mean, I guess that both is reassuring and not because this is not a novel point and I still have your copy of Sprawl that I need to get back to you. Um, the, the introduction of this volume of three-point shooting allows for just that much more variance. Again, that's not a new point. But part of me does, and I almost said this when Tommy uh, was talking, so a peek behind a different curtain is that, you, you know, when I write post-game stuff, I write like little subheadings and I keep realizing that I want to write something about living by the three, dying by the three, and that I've already used that subhead because it'll auto-populate because I keep telling the same story, which is like, oh, the Celtics got lucky from three or the Celtics were doomed from three. And that is like an interesting element to this is that a la, you know, James Harden Rockets team, the a huge part of the Celtics success is predicated on something that's not necessarily fluky, but like when it's bad, it's bad. And more often than not, the Celtics shooting is good, but like could the Celtics shooting not show up in two or three straight postseason games and wrap the season yeah big time speaking of which sam hauser <laughs> came crashing back to earth um it's not like specifically on the agenda for us but let's just like talk about the second half of the celtics bench um robert williams nominally as a bench player playing phenomenal Bobby i don't Rockman. think that's going to be the case for long though to be honest but I, just I for the, fair for the sake of, of moving past him um same with brogdon brogdon phenomenal um Grant Williams, phenomenal, even if he doesn't always stuff the stat sheet. Um, go pound sand if you disagree. Uh, but Hauser, my, my favorite Celtic in a long time, Luke Cornett and Peyton Pritchard. With trade season coming up, and granted, that's not a lot of salary to patch together. Where are you at with 
those three guys or any of the other more like role player role players on the yeah. roster? I mean, I've consistently said throughout this year that for cap reasons, I think it's going to be really difficult for the Celtics to make a high impact trade at the deadline. I would be much more leaning towards the buyout market if I'm looking to fill one of those spots. And I do think that Brad Stevens and the Celtics will take a hard look at that, particularly if there are decent vet role player castoffs from obviously tanking teams that are looking to play for contenders and reestablish their values. I don't think any of those guys' rotation spots are safe by any means. Like, I think there's definitely a world where Brad Stevens looks at the end of the bench and says, we need one more guy. We need one more, you know, kind of vet role player who can come in and we can rely on for a solid 12 minutes here. I don't think that that will come via trade. Um, just because of the salaries and the kind of complications of that. And, you know, you have to take into account that role was supposed to be Danilo Gallinari and then he got hurt. Um, so, you know, it's not like those guys were necessarily locks to be in the rotation at the start of the season anyway. Um, I do think that one thing to keep an eye on is that Joe Mazzula has been experimenting with Justin Jackson a little bit. Um, I don't know that anything is necessarily going to come of that. He's obviously been a G League guy for a while now and hasn't really stuck as an NBA player. But speaking purely from a kind of physical perspective, Justin Jackson has a little bit more of an NBA body uh, than Sam Hauser or Luke Cornett um, and a little bit more athleticism to his game. Um, it could be a situation where you see Missoula try to kind of roll the dice there, but frankly, I'm not counting on it. Uh, and, you know, it seems to me that halfway through the season, none of the Celtics G League guys seem ready for prime time as much as I would love to see uh, Kevin Gale get some get a shot here. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. So if there's any adjustments to the back end of the Celtics rotation, I would bet that it comes in the form of an acquisition on the buyout market. Yeah, we've done this before. We'll do it again. Like the just hobbling together the salaries, even if you include Gallinari, you can like maybe get to 10 or 12 million, which would be pretty difficult. And then it's not really clear like what kind of caliber of player you're bringing back, like Terrence Ross or Dario Saric, which I don't, I do think there might be some value in bringing in like one established veteran at the cost of two or three Peyton Pritchards at the tail end of the bench, but then also you're not as insulated against um injury so that uh, we have this the trade deadlines february 9th i think um we have a few more weeks to you know brainstorm and daydream and yada yada but i think it when all is said and done uh yossi Gosson was on the podcast last week and we did a whole minutia of what is illegal for the celtics to do so if anyone has questions like that you should check out that episode um, he thinks they might try to trade Jackson just to lessen their luxury tax bill again. Um, because, you know, if they're not going to use them, they can save themselves some money. But I am of the mind that teams this good ought to do everything they can to get a little bit better. But maybe that's the buyout market. By the way, Malcolm Brogdon in January of 2026 will not be under contract with the Boston Celtics. Uh, his extension ends the 24 25 season. So. Ah, okay. He okay. could still be with the Celtics. I mean, he'll only be 32. Um, wow, he'll only be 32. I feel like he's been in the league forever. Um, I think if Malcolm Brogdon gets a ring on the Celtics, I would be pretty surprised if he didn't get an extension by that time. 
I mean, <laughs> we can do this in January 2026. We don't need to do this now, but the team, there's a pathway for the team to get pretty expensive pretty quickly. I mean, assuming they, assuming they sign, like next season, they will probably have like a very steep tax bill. Well, Jalen Brown's max contract is coming. Certainly there's that uh, Grant Williams raise that's coming. They locked down Horford for some money. So, dang, their luxury tax bill is going to be so expensive next year. Dang, maybe they should duck the tax. If they, can. they can't duck the tax this year. No, you can't duck the tax if you're trying to win a title. Get out of here. No, no, no but like if it was like Trey Justin Jackson, could you? But I, I think they're way far off. No, but they're, they're too far above. Okay, um... Let's end with the three-point contest thing because that's sure. so surprising to me that Tatum is invited. Do we know that he, do we know that he accepted? Um, we do not know at this time whether he's accepted or not. Um, it does seem like the kind of thing that Jason Tatum would do. Um, yeah. You know, he's typically participated in kind of skills challenge. Obviously, he won the skills challenge back in 2019 on that ridiculous half-court buzzer beater. Um, you know, he's done All-Star Weekend stuff in the past, so I wouldn't be shocked if he does take it. I am a little shocked that he was offered that, you know, Tatum has obviously today, you know, he has moments where he looks like he's completely on fire from deep, but it's not like he's been a consistently great three-point shooter this entire year. It's a little strange to me, but hey, I'm for it, whatever. Is this correct? Malcolm Brogdon is fourth and Al Horford is sixth and three-point percentage this season? So this is the thing. Multiple Celtics players are better three-point shooters by percentage than Jason Tatum. Now, part of it is that Jason Tatum's shot volume is like 20 times those other guys. And the amount of tension he receives. But yeah, Grant, Grant Williams is, yeah, let's do it. Um, Malcolm is fourth, Al is sixth, Grant is 26th, Sam Hauser still 35th, and that's that's the Celtics in the top 50. Um, I, that's what I, that's how I feel about Tatum making all-star starter and MVP and all NBA, which all, all of those three things are possible. He is such a valuable asset to the league. He does the commercials. He does yeah. the commercials for kids' video games. He does the commercials for chips. He does the commercials for Google. He is generous in post-game interviews. You, you know, like he is media friendly. Um, I think that he likes doing that stuff or he likes the paycheck that comes with doing that stuff. And I think the league is really happy to have such a, a great star. So um, I, I guess let's see what the feel is. If it's like him and Dame Lillard and Steph, then it totally makes sense. If it's like him and Buddy Heald and uh, Austin Reeves, then then it's kind of confusing to me. But I do think that regardless of what happens, I feel pretty confident that I already know who's going to win the three-point contest this year. And it's Kevin Herter. <laughs> <laughs> is he invited or are you just uh i'm pretty sure he has been invited if he hasn't been invited i'm almost certain that he will be and if he is invited and accepts that's the guy i'm betting on i just i have a gut feeling it's kevin herder's year um all right well let's close with this we last or a few weeks ago used our great pl- clout in the world to basically will the sabonis all NBA agenda into existence and congratulations to bonus you're all NBA because of us John Morant you have to do the dunk contest truly yeah come on man look the the old gods or the new gave you a body and a mind and knees that allow you to do just like unbelievable things with a basketball and 
the dunk contest is junk food and has been like a crappy medium interesting product for a long time but Jason, it, it, just like thinking about Michael Jordan and that chain and like his super duper iconic dunk contest or Vince Carter and his super duper iconic dunk contest like Jaw has a moment to I know that he, he could also be all NBA and an all-star starter and uh I guess MVP or an NBA champion for that matter yeah goodness I want to see him do the dunk contest my dream rotation for the dunk contest is John Morant, Shaden Sharp, who I guess can just get 10 feet above the rim or something like that. And Aaron Gordon, who has been robbed far too many yeah. times. Aaron, I know it hurts. I know it brings up painful memories, but you've been so good this year for Denver. You deserve to have another shot. You deserve to take your chance to win this thing. Get back out there, Aaron Gordon. You can do this. True story. Um, all right. Uh, we should have done this earlier, but let's close with plugging a little giveaway that we're doing oh, soon yeah. on Twitter. I mean, it's more important that people are following on Twitter. Uh, check out our Twitter if you haven't, at Celtics Lab. We're going to tweet out a prompt for you to give us some trade ideas for the Boston Celtics, and that will enter you uh, a chance to win free tickets to the January 28th show that Divine Sweater is playing at O'Brien's Pub in Alston. We're also going to give away 25 bucks to anyone who gets a trade perfect as in all the players all the picks etc so you have two ways to win two fabulous prizes um i really have listened to alex's song that was dropping in moments oh it dropped as of 30 minutes ago at least on youtube yeah um yeah uh, listeners to music listeners to this podcast you should check it out divine divine sweater Spotify, YouTube, uh, Kazam, anywhere you get your music. Um, all right, Alex, I will see you tomorrow with my. You see my shoes? Oh, I see the shoes. They're they're looking good. I have some shoes of my own that I'm gonna break out. Cool, can't wait. All right, buddy. Good job, buddy. I'll see you. Yeah. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. All for right, man. Adios. Peace.